So, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you that don't, me, my name's, don't know me, my name's Carol, and I'm one of the clergy team here at um, St. Peter's. And we're continuing our sermon series this morning, looking at Are We Ready to Meet the King? And we're continuing uh, our look through Matthew's Gospel. And today, we've come to Matthew chapter 25, Uh, verses 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. And if you've got a Bible in front of you and you want to open it, it's on page 994, but the um, Bible passage will appear up on the screen. So let's see what uh, God's Word says to us this morning. Parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have Even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, over the last two or three weeks, Sky Cinema have been replaying one of my absolute favorite films, The Shawshank Redemption. And I think I've watched it recently over the last two or three weeks, about three times now. And that's in addition to the 
50-odd times I've probably watched it in the past. And each time I watch it, I'm struck by something different. I don't know whether you feel like that sometimes when you watch a film that you know. I mean, my daughter can sing all the songs to every Disney film that's ever been made. Um, and, yeah, but that's just, that's just my daughter. Um, but sometimes I'm struck by something different, a different theme or a part of the dialogue or a scene I maybe haven't always paid attention to. And this time, I was struck by the idea of waiting. So at this point, I just need to give a spoiler alert. If you've never seen The Shawshank Redemption, I'm just about to ruin it for you. So um, if you would like to just plug your ears for a moment while I just give a quick summary of the plot, I won't be offended. Anyway, here it comes. The main character, Andy Dufresne, is wrongly convicted of the murder of his wife, and he waits 19 years for the right opportunity to escape. Through a tunnel, he's been digging through the wall of his cell, totally unobserved by anyone because the hole has been hidden behind a large poster of, firstly, Rita Hayworth and then Raquel Welsh, and he does it using only a tiny, small geologist's hammer. But whilst he's waiting and digging away at his tunnel, he undertakes other projects, like building a prison library. He helps inmates achieve their basic educational certificates. He's also forced to cook the books for the governor's money laundering business and help the prison guards fill out their tax returns. But all the time, what struck me was he's using his skills and his abilities to do something that will help not only himself, but others. And all the time, just waiting for that day when the conditions will be right for him to attempt his escape once his tunnel has been completed. It took a lot of patience. Joyce Mayer, a well-known Christian author um, and speaker, once said, patience isn't the, simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave when we're waiting. Andy Dufresne, for me, embodies that thought. It's not simply a, the ability to wait, it's how we behave while we're waiting. So today, I'd like us to consider what does faithfulness look like in a time of waiting? And as you know, our sermon series is asking us the question, are we ready to meet the King? And Jesus told a number of parables recorded here in Matthew's Gospel and elsewhere, which urge us to watch and be ready for Jesus' coming again. Well, we've already been waiting over 2,000 years. And as David pointed out a few weeks ago, no one knows when Jesus will return, only God the Father. And so we're not only called to be ready and alert, but we are also called to wait and waiting can be passive, like when I'm sat in the dentist's waiting room playing Patience or Solitaire on my phone. Um, or it can be active, like Andy Dufresne. But what does faithfulness look like in a time of waiting? This whole Bible story comes in a section of teaching about the end times, something we don't really like to think about these days, as it forces us to consider some difficult and complicated truths and how they apply to our lives. 
And Jesus used parables to draw pictures of things that can't be explained easily, that don't fit well into words. And this parable helps us to grasp what it is he wants us to do and how he wants us to live whilst we wait. The last couple of sermons have helped us to think about what is readiness. And last week we heard about those wise and foolish virgins. But in this parable, Jesus is asking us another challenging question. He's asking, who are my faithful and wise servants? Who are the ones the master's going to put in charge? And who are the ones that the master comes and finds doing their jobs. And as Joyce Mayer alluded to and Andy Dufresne embodied, it's not a matter of passively waiting, but of responsible activity, producing results which the coming master can see and approve. What does faithfulness look like in a time of waiting? And again, as an homage to David, I want to touch on three things. You have taught me well, Obi-Wan. So faithfulness is about using well what's been entrusted to us. Faithfulness is about risking your own unique gifts and talents and resources because we've been given a responsibility and we will be accountable. So using well what has been entrusted to us. Now, when we use the word talent, we think about skills and abilities. Britain's got talent or not. When Jesus used the word talent, his audience would have immediately thought about money. In the first century, a talent was the largest unit of currency available at the time. Now, to get an idea of how much we're talking about, um, I'm going to ask you to do some quick maths in your head, okay? So don't worry, it's quite straightforward. So first of all, double your current annual salary. Now, if you don't work for financial gain, you can double the average salary in the UK, which is about 30K, which is not beyond my mathematical capability. Okay, got that in your head? Now add a zero to it. And now imagine it's sitting on the table in front of you in crisp new bills. It's a lot of money that doesn't belong to you, but is now in your care. Today, however, we should think more broadly than just the money that's under our name. The symbol of money in the parable represents all the resources we have been given by God, including our money, our abilities, our time, our opportunities. The point is, it is a lot because God chooses to bless us abundantly, more than we could ever imagine. And so the master goes away and entrusts his estate, the talents, the money to his servants. We don't know how long he's gone. The Bible just tells us it's a long time. So immediately Jesus is reminding us that we have to wait for his return, but that we have responsibilities, this big pile of money on all the talents and abilities and time and resources that he's given us. We have to manage that while he's gone. Like the servants, we too have been entrusted with talents, and there will be a time in the future when the master returns from his journey and will want to know what his servants that's us, have done with the money or resources entrusted to them. 
The first two servants had invested their sums, five and two talents respectively, and each doubled the amount. They are rewarded and given additional responsibilities as a result. Then the master turns to the third servant, who immediately begins offering explanations and notes that he was afraid to do anything but hide what he had been given in the ground. The third servant simply waits for the master to come back so he can return it, perhaps like a hot potato saying, here you go, it's all there, every penny accounted for, just like you left it, nothing to see here. But the master isn't impressed to have his money simply returned and accounted for. God expects us to manage the talents given to us, whether a few or many. We are stewards of those talents It doesn't matter how many you have, and we all have them, but it does matter what you do with them. Because this is what it means to be faithful in a time of waiting. We don't wait and carry what we've been given. We wait and multiply what we've been giving, the blessings that we've already been given. We're called to action, to multiply, to increase, and to use what God has given us to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven until he returns and makes all things new. And how do we do that? Well, faithfulness means risking our own unique gifts and talents. Now, it won't have escaped your notice that each of the servants is given a different amount of money or talents to use. So I want to say something about that first. Now, it's been said before, God loves us all equally, and he does. He values us all equally. He does. He forgives us all equally, and he calls us all equally. We are all equal in terms of value to him. But as this parable reminds us, we are not equal in terms of the sharing of our talents and abilities. God has chosen to bless us all in different ways. We are unique, we are equal, but the talents and resources we have will differ. And I know that's not a popular view, especially in today's culture, but it's true. When it comes to talent and abilities, we are not all the same. We're not all meant to be the next Alan Sugar or Serena Williams, J.K. Rowling or Albert Einstein, but we are all called equally to use what gifts we have, what makes ourselves unique in God's eyes, in the service of God's kingdom. And equally, gifts don't have to be about rocket science or acts of greatness. They can be anything, baking, mechanics, knitting, encouraging, making good coffee, a great one, painting, music, building IKEA furniture, other brands are available. The point is, we all have them and they are what make us, us, and make us unique and loved by God. God doesn't equate talent to value in the same way that we do. And this parable reminds us that we are valuable to him, not based on what we do, but rather who we are and how we use what we've been given, be it great or small. For God, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. 
God's reaction to the first and second servant was equal in that he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. He didn't say, well done you a bit more because you've doubled five and not so much to you because you've doubled two. It was no, well done, well done for using what I've given to you. And it was different what I gave to you to what I gave to you to what I gave to you. But the problem is, it's easy for us to look at others and think that they are more talented, um, more brilliant, more gifted. Um, their gifts are better than ours. Their gifts are more important. God can use their gifts more than he can use my gifts. Just more than we are. And that fear prevents us from developing and growing our own skills and ability. And that fear can prevent us from doing and we can stop at just being. God had entrusted that third servant with talents in order that he would use his abilities, abilities that had helped his master in the past in order to turn a profit for his Lord. This servant, however, was too afraid to take a risk. Perhaps he was worried he would lose it all. Perhaps he thought it's better to play it safe and just dig a hole in the ground the sort of moral equivalent of putting it under your mattress and forgetting about it until the master returned. One Bible commentator, John Buchanan, said this, The point here is not really about doubling your money and accumulating wealth. It is about living. It is about investing. It is about taking risks. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is not to risk anything, not to care deeply and profoundly enough about anything to invest deeply, to give your heart away and in the process risk everything. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to play it safe, to live cautiously and prudently. Perhaps, like the third servant, it's easier to bury what God has given us than use it. After all, if you don't try, you can't fail. That third servant underestimated his worth to God. He forgot that he had been chosen above all other slaves to be entrusted with his unique talent. He underestimated his value to God and God's expectations of him. We don't know what those first two servants did to make such a good return. We aren't told that. But the important message isn't so much the how as the fact that they did. They tried. The message here is not so much about the way in which the investments grew. It's the fact that the servants did something to try and make it happen. And this is what Jesus longs for us to do. We are called to be faithful in a time of waiting because he will return. And as this parable suggests, as Christians, we have a responsibility because we will be accountable. The last two verses sound like the master is a harsh and unforgiving person, unlike the picture of God we know from elsewhere. But this is not a symbolic picture of God, but one that simply helps us understand that the servant's actions were irresponsible. His discipleship is one of playing it safe and therefore achieving nothing. 
Because as David reminded us last week, the day is coming when Jesus will return. And maybe we don't want to think too much about what that might mean for us, but it is coming. And our choices determine our destiny. And the servants in this parable remind us of the consequences of being both faithful with what we have been blessed with and not being faithful with what we've been blessed with when we're in this time of waiting. And it's quite clear that there will be accountability. Verse 26 tells us, I've got a slightly different translation to the one that you, we've just read. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gained some interest on it. And in verse 30, throw the servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I say all this not to condemn us, but to encourage us. By God's grace, we have all been given things that we have received as gifts, which we have not earned and we certainly don't deserve. And I think this parable helps us to understand that we are called to use those things and respond creatively to a challenge and to act responsibly. We must not make excuses to avoid doing what God has called us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We all sit under God's grace and we all have hope in times of waiting. God loves us equally and demonstrated that self-given love when he died on the cross for all of us, no matter who we were. So please be encouraged this morning, but maybe also a little bit challenged. None of us is perfect. None of us. And if anything, this parable teaches us that none of us is perfect and that waiting can be difficult and hard and we have to make difficult decisions and choices about how we live our lives. Today, we might reflect on our own times of resilience and times of weakness when we've been in a time of waiting. There is no doubt that being a follower of Jesus makes claims on us not to satisfy a demanding God, but to challenge us to grow more like God and to remind us that when Jesus returns, he will expect to find us ready and having made good use of the gifts he's left in our care. So what does faithfulness look like in a time of waiting? In this parable, Jesus is expressing what he hopes and wants us to do whilst he's gone and as we wait for his return. It explains what it means to be his follower, even when he's not here to show us how to do it himself. That third servant passed up an opportunity to do something for the glory of God's kingdom, and he paid the price. So as we wait, take stock of what has been given to you and be thankful for what has been given to you. Reflect on that again today. And maybe ask yourself if you're taking a few risks with those gifts. 
or just burying what you've been given. Remember, we all have gifts and a responsibility to use those gifts for the growth of God's kingdom. In a previous sermon, David talked about John Wesley, who when asked what he would do if he knew the Lord was returning, said, I would want him to find me doing what he has appointed me to do. We are all called to be ready and prepared by fulfilling our responsibilities to do the things that he has appointed for us. And then we can be ready to meet the king as his good and faithful servants when he returns. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you first of all. Thank you that you have given each of us unique gifts and talents and blessings that you give to us generously, even when we don't deserve them. And that you have an unfailing love and unfailing value that you place on everyone in your kingdom. And Lord, we want to say sorry for the times that we've maybe taken those gifts for granted, where we've maybe buried some things or we've left them to one side through fear and not being able to take their responsibility for furthering those gifts. We, we say sorry for the times when we felt inadequate and we've not been brave. But I ask you, please, Lord, to help us to understand that you delight in us. And this morning, maybe reveal some of our shortcomings as we pray to you. And give us your courage to be your good and faithful servants. Amen.